Lord, we come into your presence expectedly. Lord, we come into your presence knowing that you have a word for us today. Lord, knowing that you are a talking God, that you communicate to us uh, by the clarity of your word and by the indwelling spirit who gives us enlightened minds that we might understand and know the things that you have for us in your word. And Lord, I pray today that you would pour out your spirit among us. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, unclog our stopped up ears that are so clogged up with the things of the world and the the, the cares of life. And Lord, that you would just unclog them and give uh, give us clarity, give us clear hearing that we can hear what you have to say to us in your word. Lord, speak. We are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of this message is, That Thing is Broken. That Thing is Broken. And our scripture, which we'll come to in a moment, is found in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Now, I'm not bragging, but Laurie and I have a really nice refrigerator. I got a picture of it right up here from the website. We have a really nice refrigerator. When we bought, and and there's an explanation for this, okay? Because I'm not bragging, but when we bought our house, we didn't have a refrigerator. We moved into the new house, there was no refrigerator, so the seller gave us a nice and a generous refrigerator allowance. And I'm not going to tell you exactly how much it was, but you can tell from the picture, it was a nice allowance, okay? And so basically, we had to spend every dollar of that, or we lost it, on a refrigerator, and so Laurie and I went to Lowe's, and we picked out the best refrigerator we could buy for that much money that he gave us, okay? And so we bought this refrigerator. This is a Whirlpool Gold Edition with 26.2 cubic feet of space. This thing has the French door design, which is kind of nice. It opens in the middle. You can see that. It has the, the sliding freezer that pulls out. It has the, the deli drawer that slides out in the middle. It has a programmable ice and water maker. And my water bottle, my big Nalgene, y'all know I like to drink water, right? Uh, uh, where's Sophia? Sophia's not here anymore, but Sophia used to laugh at me about drinking water. <laughs> and my big Nalgene water bottle will fit right up in there to get my water. Anybody, anybody relate to that? Any water drinkers? I see a few hands. This is a really nice refrigerator. It's a thing of beauty. Look at it. Stainless steel. But there's a problem. There's a problem. You see, only after a few months, like maybe two months, only after a few months, the fridge stopped doing its job. The fridge stopped cooling. Thankfully, we were under warranty, right? And so we called the repairman. The repairman came in. He did his thing. He replaced some parts, pulled out the brains of it, put some new brains in it, like did everything that he did. And then it started working again. And we were like, okay, dodged a bullet for a while. Because just after the warranty expired, y'all know what that's like, right? Just after the warranty expired, it stopped cooling again. So the repairman came out again, but this time on our tab. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we have emptied and defrosted this refrigerator probably 
six times in the last six years. More than that? My wife is saying more than that. At least six times in the last six years, we have defrosted and emptied this refrigerator, this really, really nice and expensive refrigerator. You see, it has a beautiful design, and, and when it works, it's amazing. When it works, this, this thing is like, you just stand there in awe of this refrigerator if you're like me. Like, I love appliances. I know some of you love appliances. But we have come to realize in our household that this refrigerator, from the very first day that it arrived on our doorstep, was broken. This thing is broken. And so we started to think, well, maybe it's us. You know, maybe we were the ones who broke the fridge. One day, I walked by the fridge, and I noticed that the little drawer was pulled out a little bit. And I'm like, those kids, man, they're leaving the drawer open. No wonder this thing's breaking, right? And, 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 and so I, I told the kids, look, you got to close the door all the way. you got to make sure it shuts. If it gets air in there, it's going to freeze up, and then it's going to be no good. Maybe this would explain why the fridge kept getting frozen. Then another day, I walked by, and I noticed that the towel, which was hanging from the middle drawer, was hanging down and blocking the freezer from closing. And so I said, all right, we're going to stop putting a towel on the middle drawer. We're going to fix that problem. We're going to put the towel only on the bottom, and we're going to put a little ribbon there. If you come to our house, there's a little ribbon there that means don't put a towel here. All right, we're trying to fix this problem. But even though we've been vigilant, even though we have called the repairman time and again, even though we have tried to do better, the fridge still stops cooling about once a year. Because it arrived on our doorstep broken. That thing is broken. Sex is like our refrigerator. You can quote me on that. It has a beautiful design. Amen? Let's go listen to last week's sermon. It has a beautiful design. God designed it for making babies, for partnership, for pleasure, all within the covenant of marriage, within the lifelong union of one man and one woman. But now, because of sin, our sexuality is what, church? broken. It is broken. And the Bible tells us what happened, right? If we go back to the very first few pages of the Bible, we see that, that the first human beings, our, our parents, Adam and Eve, they were given a choice to continue in obeying God or to go their own way, to exercise their free will that God gave them. And sadly, they did just that. They exercised their free will and they, they went their own way and they disobeyed God and they ate the forbidden fruit. And when they did that, their eyes were opened, not only to good, but now to good and evil. And evil began to take root in every single corner of God's good creation. It began to spread like a virus. Do we know what that's like? It began to spread like a virus infecting 
everything. Everything is affected by that original fall into disobedience against God. That is the world we live in today. A world that is infected by sin and evil. Just look around. You can't miss it. It's everywhere. Everything is tainted by sin. Everything. Everything. Everyone. Everyone. Uh, David, King David wrote in Psalm 51, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. The very origin of human life, conception, is where sin begins in our lives. The very beginning. Listen, when we arrive on the doorstep, we are already broken. When we arrive on the doorstep, we are already broken by what what, what uh, Bible scholars call original sin. Right? Original because it has its origin at the beginning. Original sin. Our very natures are corrupted. We do not do the good that we want to do. Amen? We do not do the good that we want to do. We do not do the good that we were designed to do. We're like my refrigerator. It's amazing. It doesn't work. (laughs) Half the time. It doesn't work the way it's supposed to work. Lady Gaga got it right. We're born this way. I know I've said that before, but it's true. We were born with a fallen and corrupted nature. And I want to tease out two ways that we're broken. This is important. And I want you to get this, okay? We're broken in two ways. Um, And and the first way I'm going to call original sin. Okay, and the second way I'm going to call actual sin. All right, let me break that down for you, okay? Original sin is referring to our corrupted nature. It's what we're born with. It's what we're conceived with. It's before you ever had a chance to disobey your parents, you had a corrupted nature. Okay, that's original sin. That's what we inherit. We just bring it with us, right? We arrive on the doorstep with that original sin. It's a corrupt nature. And so we're broken in that way. And that also has an effect on lots of things. It has an effect on our brains. It has an effect on the way we emote. It has an effect on our relationships. It has an effect on the world around us. It has an effect on our health. On lots of things. Original sin is that virus that infects everything. Okay, That's the first way that we're broken. But the second way we're broken is what we think of. Our actual sin. Right? Our sinful thoughts and, and, and our sinful desires and our, our sinful actions. If we understand these two things, it's going to really help us understand sexual sin. Okay? We're going to kind of dive into that a little more here. We're not even to our passage yet. All right? But when you think about original sin, okay? Original sin is that, is that corrupt and sinful nature. There are a lot of ways that our sexuality is affected by original sin. And you have, to, you have to remember, this is like what you get from the factory. Okay, This is not your decision. This is not your willful choice. This is just how we arrive. All right, so listen to these, these things and, listen, and hear them in, the, in terms of original sin. Okay, And so here's some examples of how this plays out in our sexuality. 
And I'll start with this one, difficulty conceiving and infertility. Now, what I don't want you to hear me say is that because I sinned, I can't get pregnant. That is not what I'm saying. Okay, so, but, but your infertility or my, infer- my infertility, right, is a result of a fallen world because of original sin. It's not a one-to-one, you did it, so you're, you're wrong, you're, you're never going to, that's not it. This is, we're talking about original sin. We're talking about a corrupted, a corrupted nature. <laughs> that's why things don't work the way they're supposed to. That's why uh, some have difficulty with uh, sexual dysfunction. That's why some have difficulty with a low sex drive. There, there, there's all kinds of things that have nothing to do with actual sin that have to do with a corrupted nature. We live in this world. Let me go a step further. Confusion about our identity, our sexual identity, male and female, uh, something that's called gender dysphoria. This is, this is a product of original sin. Okay, not that you chose it, not that you decided someday I'm going to be a girl, right? That's not what this is about. It's about the fact that we're born into the world. We arrive on the front porch affected by original sin. And so you can categorize uh, gender dysphoria, sexual identity into that category. Persons who, think about persons who are born with uh, ambiguous bodies. This is very rare, but some people are born with ambiguous sexuality. They may have more than one uh, biological component to their, to their sex. It's very rare, but it does happen. Why does that happen? Because we live in a world that is tainted by original sin. Likewise, people get brain tumors. Likewise, people struggle with um, emotional uh, problems and, and, and psychological problems. Likewise, people get cancer. Likewise, we have hurricanes. Why? Because we're affected by original sin. Okay, so it's not just sexual things. It's a lot of different things that happen in this world that are not a result of your choice, but they are a result of being born into this world that is affected by original sin. I hope I'm being clear. Other ways that original sin affects us sexually Same-sex attraction, homosexual desires, those are not original. Those are a product of a fallen world. They're a product of original sin. Not that you chose it, but original sin. You arrive on the porch, and some of us have this issue. We didn't, everyone I know who struggles with with same-sex attraction, they will tell tell you they did not choose it. (laughs) They didn't choose it. It's just, I arrived on the scene. And the Bible tells us why that can happen at times. It can happen because of original sin. Not actual sin, necessarily, but original sin. And so that gives us a category for understanding why someone can say, I was born this way. And we can say, yeah, maybe so. But it doesn't mean it was God's original design. It doesn't mean it was God's original design. Here's another one, okay? Opposite sex attraction for someone other than your husband or wife. That is a result of original sin. So a a, a heterosexual person, if they are attracted to someone who's not their, sexually attracted to someone who's not their wife or their husband, 
that is a product, that attraction is a product of original sin. Because Adam was created to be drawn to his wife, and Eve was created to be drawn to her husband, not to somebody else of the opposite sex. So we all broken. Amen? We're all broken. All of these that I've mentioned, and, and surely others, are a result of original sin, original corruption. It's how we arrive from the factory. Other sexual brokenness is not about original sin, but it's about actual transgression, right? Actual sin, actual willful decisions that we make to entertain even some of those impulses, right? Some of those impulses which come from a broken nature, we will entertain those, like that, that attraction to a woman who's not my wife. If I entertain that, now it's becoming an actual sin, right? If I entertain it, if I take it a step further, now it becomes an actual transgression, Rather than following God's design for sexual expression within marriage, we do whatever seems right in our own eyes, don't we? So, so often, we just, you know what, I just want to be happy. I just want to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what makes me feel good. I'm not hurting anybody. And so we fall into all manner of actual sin, adultery, polygamy, polyamory, fornication, homosexual acts, rape and incest, heterosexual lust, acting on transgender feelings. See, we have to separate what is a product of original sin, what's just there, and what, what do we do with it. And we're all responsible for what we do with it. Whether it's something like homosexuality, or whether it's something like lust. We all have to deal with living in a fallen and broken what is the sermon title? That thing is broken. That thing is broken. Now, <laughs> after getting the bad news, we're going to turn to our passage. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And rather than reading all of it, I'm going to read it a little bit at a time and then just kind of walk through it, okay? But, I, but if you have it with you, go ahead and, go ahead and look at it. John chapter 8, uh, verses 1 and 2. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. We're going to stop there. See, Jesus was ministering to people, and he was ministering in Jerusalem, a place where he had a lot of enemies. And so Jesus got into a pattern where he would go across the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives, which is a place where he uh, would often spend time praying. He would find a solitude place and he would pray and rest and prepare for his daily ministry. And then it says very early in the morning, he got up and he came into the temple courts and he sat down and people gathered around Jesus to hear him speak words full of compassion and mercy. You see, Jesus had a reputation for being a friend of sinners. He had a reputation for being a friend of sinners of tax collectors and prostitutes. And this infuriated the religious leaders. Jesus was not making any friends among the religious leaders because of his message of gospel, his message of good news and of compassion. And so let's, let's pick up on verse 3. And so in verse 3, it says, The scribes and the Pharisees, those are the religious leaders, they brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, 
They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. You see, the religious leaders, they, they despised Jesus because of his message of compassion. They despised Jesus because the crowds were coming to him, even if they were prostitutes and tax collectors. And so, because of that, they set a trap for him. They said, Moses says, we need to stone such women. What do you say? I think it's kind of interesting that they brought the woman, but not the man. <laughs> right? Like, where's the, where's the dude? You said you caught her in the act. That implies what? <clears throat> but anyway... See, the law of Moses actually says that both the man and the woman should be put to death. I looked it up, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. Both the woman and the man caught in adultery should be put to death. So we're already dealing with some, uh, some rereading of history here, rewriting of the law of God. But anyway, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger. It doesn't tell us what he wrote or if he was even writing anything. Maybe he was doodling, I don't know. He's giving everyone a moment to take it all in. Because you know what? The religious leaders were absolutely correct. They were. They were absolutely correct. God's law demands obedience. God's law demands sexual faithfulness within marriage. God's law demands that we keep God's design. And so they're right. And Jesus is letting that sit on his crowd. He's letting it sit that, yes, this woman does deserve to die according to the law of Moses, God's law. According to the righteous God who does punish sin. Never forget God punishes sin. So we, we, we sugarcoat God so often today. But God punishes sin. The penalty of all sin is death. Imagine the situation. Jesus is seated with his followers and they're all gathered around. The woman has been thrown down into the ground in the midst of them. What do you say, Jesus? While they're cl clutching their stones in their hands. What do you say? Here it is. Actual sin. <laughs> Adultery. Sexual immorality. Marriage vows broken, a family shattered, clutching their rocks, clutching their rocks, ready for him to give the word. Jesus does not dispute her guilt. He does not sugarcoat this. He does not say, give her a break. He does not dispute their sentence because it is just he doesn't say, no, she doesn't deserve that. He never says that, y'all. He never says that. He doesn't downplay her actions which were sinful and wrong and deserving of God's wrath. Just like your sin and just like my sin. 
What does he do? He bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And then verse 7, the story continues. And as they continued to ask him, in other words, they were like, come on, tell us, what do we do, what do we do? They continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. He stood up and he said, let him who is without sin among you cast the first stone. He sat back down, drew with his finger on the ground. With this simple statement, y'all, Jesus completely unmasked what was going on here. He unmasked their self-righteousness. Because God tells us very clearly, nobody is without sin. And, and, and look, not just actual sin, right, but original sin. If you think about it, we inherit, we're like my fridge. We arrive with sin in our lives, affected by it, distorted by it, confused by it, misguided by it. You can't trust your heart. People say, follow your heart. But Christians say, no, because your heart is affected by original sin. Your heart is corrupt, and my heart is corrupt. I, if I follow my heart, I'm going to do actual sin. right? And I'm going to wreck my family. And I'm going to wreck your life. right? Because that's what sin does. It's destructive toward God's creation and God's original design. But religious folks want to focus on your sin on everybody else's sin except for their own. And so Jesus just cuts right through that, doesn't he? He says, all right, let him who is without sin among you be the first to cast a stone. Religious folks have no sympathy for sexual strugglers. And if there's one message that the church in America and probably around the world, has sent to people who struggle, especially with same-sex attraction and sexual identity, these two things, right now. The message has been that of, tell me when I can throw the stone. Tell me when I can throw the stone, Jesus. What do you say? That's the message. Isn't that the message? That's the message. A message of condemnation. So Jesus asks, who has loved the Lord their God with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their mind and with all their strength? Who among you has done that? Who among you has loved God in every single way possible? Who among you has loved their neighbor as themselves? Who among you is without sin? Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground again. Jesus wants to know. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. But, one of the best words in the Bible. But, <laughs> when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. 
you can almost see the eyes of these angry men begin to, to widen and soften as they realize the truth of his statement. I am not without sin. So the oldest walks away. I am not without sin. The next one walks away. I'm not without sin. The next one walks away. I'm not without sin. And one by one, they walk away. Jesus was left alone. You know, every list of sexual sin in the Bible, such as adultery, fornication, homosexuality, every one of those is listed right there alongside many others. And I actually did a little study. I went and, and, and collected all of those places where sexual sins are mentioned, and I, and I thought, well, what are the other sins that are mentioned? Are you ready? Here they are. This is from like three, different, three or four different places. Greed. Worshiping idols. Stealing. Drunkenness. Lying. Enslaving. Didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? Breaking the Sabbath. Disobeying parents. Hatred. Arrogance and pride. Foolishness. Coveting. Envy. Murder. Right alongside the ones that we think are technicolor. The ones that we uh, grab our stones and want to throw at people because we tend to elevate sexual sins. But brothers and sisters, the Bible doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. Sexual sins are not in a special class by themselves. This is so important for us to grasp. This is the message that Jesus has for us, right? Here is a woman caught in adultery, red-handed. Some reason they let the guy go, right? But here she is caught, and, and this is the one they want to condemn. But what about your pride? But what about your greed? But what about your disobedience to parents? And so one by one, they walk away recognizing the truth that God tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what does Jesus do next? The story just gets better. Verse 10. Jesus stood up. I love that. He stands, he stands up. He stands up because he taught seated. That's how they taught. They taught seated. Jesus stood up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, from now on, sin no more. Oh, hallelujah. Did everybody leave? Did everybody leave? No. No. Because Jesus said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And so at the end of the day, when everyone walks away, there's only one 
person standing, and it's Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one without sin. He's the only one who could have rightly and justly condemned her. The only one. He's the only one who could actually have done it. But he gave her mercy. He gave her grace. He forgave her. And he instructed her, from now on, sin no more. Y'all, this is God's response to sexual brokenness. This is God's response to a world that has just gone crazy against God and against His will and against His design. This is His response. It is not condemnation. What is it? It's mercy. It is forgiveness and love and compassion. This is God. Get to know Jesus. Get to know Jesus. Because He is God in the flesh. As much as we tried to repair our refrigerator, as much as we tried, and trust me, every year we think, this thing was so expensive. You know, (laughs) is it time? We're like, we don't have the money. Like, where's the allowance? (laughs) Where's the new allowance? Let's just defrost it. Do it again. Go Go through the thing again and again and again. Do you feel that way sexually sometimes? Man, I've tried. I've tried to turn over a new leaf. I've tried to do the right thing. I've tried to wait. I've tried to honor God with my body. But man, it just keeps overheating. (laughs) Just keeps overheating. The solution is to get a new refrigerator. But it's pricey. And did you know that when we put our faith in Jesus, the Bible says God gives us a new heart? That when you actually take that step to say, you know what, I'm done doing this on my own. I'm done being the king. I'm going to take the crown off of myself and I'm going to place it at your feet. When we do that, when we give up the control of our lives that we think we have, and we give it over to the Lord, you know what He does? He gives us a new heart. He indwells us with His Holy Spirit. And so if you have faith in Christ, you have have a new refrigerator. Amen? You have a new heart. You have a new spirit. It's not something that you have to work on. It's something that you are given. That's what grace is. Grace is a free gift from God. And so by faith in Him, we get a new heart. Jesus says to you who trust him, neither do I condemn you. Who walked away condemned that day? Not nobody. Yeah, all of those, all of those Pharisees walked away condemned. Why? Because they didn't, they didn't trust Jesus. That is the only difference between a new heart and an old heart. It's faith in Jesus. It's faith in him. Replacing a refrigerator is costly to us. But our salvation was costly to Jesus. In order to repair our brokenness, Jesus had to be broken. In order to take away our condemnation, 
he, he had to be condemned. To give us a new heart, Jesus had to carry all of our sin, including all of our sexual sin, to the cross of Calvary. And there, once and for all, he made atonement on the cross. God's justice and God's wrath, which we deserve, was was satisfied by Jesus on the cross. It was satisfied by him. All of those rocks struck our Savior on the cross. In his death on the cross, he paid the penalty that our sins deserve. That is the good news of Jesus. That means you don't have to carry that weight anymore. That means that burden has been lifted from you by faith in him. And so all who believe in him are given a new heart, a new nature, a new nature, right? So this original nature that we talked about, this original sin, now we have a new nature. And in this life, it doesn't completely replace the other one. It replaces it in heaven alone, and we're going to get there. We're going to talk about heaven two weeks. But what it does is it gives you options, Everybody likes to have options, right? The new heart that God gives you gives you options. What does Jesus say to her? He says, from now on, go and sin no more. Why would he say that if she didn't have the option? Why would he say, go and sin no more, if she couldn't do it? Why, Why can she do it? She has a new heart. Jesus gave her a new heart. And so she can choose to follow God and walk in obedience. That's the beauty of this. It's not just, neither do I condemn you, but it's, and go and sin no more. The woman caught in adultery will never forget that moment when Jesus showed her mercy. She will never forget how God's grace was just lavished on her life. And so every time she faces a temptation she will remember the face of Jesus. She will remember what Jesus did for her. Her love for him will motivate her. Think about it. Is she going to go back and never be tempted to adultery again? No way, right? No way. Uh, uh, I think it's safe to assume that her life was pretty consumed with this, with this, li- with this sin. Pretty consumed with it. She was so well known that, that they, knew who, they knew who to go get, right? They, they knew who to go get to make an example of. So she wasn't going to have it easy, but she was going to go back with a new heart. And she was going to go back with a new attitude. And she was going to go back with a Savior who did not condemn her, but who loved her and who forgave her and who gave her grace and compassion. And y'all, that is what changes us. It's not replacing the parts of the refrigerator right it's the new heart you as much as you work on as much as we work on the fridge i keep going back to the fridge as much as we work on the fridge as much as you work on your life and try to fix yourself it will never work it won't it will never work and so what we have to do is walk by faith and what that means is that we walk looking to jesus the perfecter of our faith What we do is we walk remembering what Jesus did for me. That when I was condemned, when I was condemned, when I condemned myself, I see the face of Jesus saying, neither do I condemn you. 
I give you grace. I'm not going to hold this against you. I never will bring it up again. I never will bring it up again. That's forgiveness. That's forgiveness. And brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, that is what you get to enjoy. And those of you who are not in Christ, man, come to him. Yet you are a lousy king of your life. You, you are not doing a very good job, and neither was I. And neither was anybody else here who's turned their life over to Jesus. The one who loved you and gave himself for you. He's the one that we love now and we follow. And so if I'm tempted sexually in some way, and I am and you are, and we all have different temptations because original sin affects us all differently, not worse, right, but differently, we can face those temptations by speaking the truth to the, to the devil. I'm not going to give in to this because I have a Lord who loves me. I'm not going to give in to this because I have a Savior who gave himself for me. I have a Savior who showed me mercy and grace when I deserved condemnation. And brothers and sisters, that is how you change. Walk by faith. Walk by faith. Real quick, I have three applications. I'm going to be quick. I know it's already 40 minutes. This was, I told Laurie this was like, when I started writing this on Monday, I was like, I got four sermons. <laughs> Make it one. Okay. Three applications. I'll do this quickly. We need to be honest. That's the first one. We need to be honest about our struggles. Um, and and, and we, need to, we need to be honest about our struggles, and we need to be a safe place for people to be honest about their struggles. And the church is not automatically a safe place. We know that. New City Fellowship, as great as y'all are, are not automatically a safe place. We, we are going to have to lean on Jesus and pray and ask God to make this a safe place so that we can all be honest about our sexual failures and our struggles and the, and the propensities that because of original sin we may have and we do have. And we can help each other. I mean, isn't that what the religious leaders failed to do? They failed to come to this woman who was uh, entrapped by her sin and say, have you heard about God's mercy? Have you heard about, can, can we help you turn away from this? That's destroy, look at your family, it's destroying you. How can we help you? How can we help you? Tell me about your struggle. Tell me what you need. But instead of that, they came with clenched fists, right? Number one, we need to be honest. Number two, we need to embrace Jesus by faith. I've already said it. We need to embrace Jesus by faith. We need to not walk away disappointed. We need to say, what did she say? She said, Lord, right? She said, no one, Lord, that's what we need to do. We need to embrace Jesus. We need to meditate on who he is, what he's done for us, how he loves us. You can do that by reading the word. You can do that by spending time in personal prayer and worship. Spend time embracing Jesus because 
He and His love for you is the only power you have to resist temptation. His love is the only power you have. Number three. Number one was we need to be honest. Number two, we need to embrace Jesus. And number three, we need to sin no more. (laughs) That is an application of this, isn't it? Um, We need to sin no more. Um, Some of us need to uh, shut down Instagram. Some of us need to cut off that relationship that's leading me into sin. Some of us need to take steps to sin no more. We all do. Not some of us, we all do. We need to sin no more. And by God's grace, we can. We have the option. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us and filling us, and we have the option to turn away from sin as new creations, as those who have been filled with the Spirit of God. That thing may be broken, but Jesus is making all things new. And I can't wait for you to hear the sermon next week because the title of the message, Joel's going to preach it, but the title of the message is, That Thing is Good News. That Thing is Good News. That's next week. All right, come back, bring a friend, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Lord, thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you speak. Lord, thank you that you've hopefully made some things clear to us today. Lord, I pray that your spirit would make, uh, would speak to us and inform our hearts and inform our minds and and change our, our decision making. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be honest. Lord, I know someone out there today needs to be honest. And Lord, I pray you would provide an opportunity or friendship, a relationship, a, a trusted mentor or brother or sister to share that need with, to share that struggle with. Lord, and would you create a safe place at New City Fellowship. Lord, a safe place for those who struggle because that is all of us. Lord, help us to embrace you, to see you for who you are and what you've done and to love you for being the God of mercy and grace and kindness and compassion, for for withholding judgment, for taking it on yourself at the cross so that we could go free. And Lord, help us to live free. Help us to live turning away from temptation and sin and and even the the corrupt nature. Lord, would you put that down, put it to death, Lord. Even those desires that that go the wrong way, Lord, would you you by your spirit begin to, to shape and mold and change those, even those desires, Lord. The ones that we don't even have control over, Lord, you do. And so, Lord, we pray for your mercy. We pray for your mercy of endurance. Lord, we pray that we, above all things, would have compassion for those who struggle because they are us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.